Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Benji Mason and Graham Laborde from Winnie's coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine. We follow her on Instagram at Mary Lee Clarkson. Mary Clarkson, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm well, Eric, on this rainy day. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Golden Bagels and Coffee announced that it will close September 26th. This is the cafe and bagel shop in the Heights that opened in January 2018 by Avi Katz of Katz Coffee and local attorney Greg Goldstein. Uh, Mary, let me, let me just throw it to you. Do you have any particular memories of Golden Bagels? Is this a place you're going to miss? I thought that this was a nice addition to the neighborhood. I don't think there's a lot of places you can get bagels inside the city. Um, and I really thought, I really thought that they would do well. So I don't know. Yeah. I have to say this one stings a little bit. I am a Golden Bagels regular in the sense that I probably go there, you know, not quite monthly. I'd say maybe every couple of months. They cure their own locks and they smoke their own salmon. So if I'm in the Heights and it's roughly breakfast time, you could generally count on me stopping by for uh, a bagel and lox sandwich. Yeah, it's a really nice addition for the Heights. I'm, I just, I think maybe COVID not happening, they would still be around. Um, I think that it will be a quickly gobbled up space. Yeah, I, they've been, they were very COVID cautious. Uh, I, I mean, they still are. I don't think they have. They're still open, I think. No, yeah, no, they're, I mean, they're still open, but they, they stayed closed for dine-in for a really long time. They moved to online ordering and you picked it up on the patio. And, I, you know, in some ways it was very efficient and I appreciated it. But in other ways, I sort of wonder if, staying closed for that long didn't hurt them or you know i you know i'm not i'm not really quite sure what the reason is for the closure if you know it's it's uh it was kind of a long build out and you know so i don't I don't quite know but um you know it's a disappointing situation because because you're right i mean there are not many bagel options inside the loop especially i mean basically there's hot bagel shop on shepherd or if you, you know, if you include the Galleria area, we sort of stretch that loop by uh, a block or two. You can go to Kenny and Ziggy's. They have good bagels. But yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a loss for the Heights. I mean, I, I thought it was a nice addition to the neighborhood. I mean, to really beautiful space. Um, I don't think we will have an empty space there for long, given the popularity of this area of the Heights for dining and drinking options. Well, yeah, put on your, your real estate hat, your real estate attorney hat. What do you think? What, would you, what do you think that that space could be a fit for? I mean, you know, it's got, a, it's got a decent-sized dining room. It's got a little bit of parking, and it's got a patio. So, and, it, and it's got a full kitchen. So it could be anything, really. I officially want it to be a restaurant and or a restaurant with a you know, bar or wine concept. The reality is I think it's probably going to go the bar route. I just, this stretch of White Oak's really popular. I could see some type of cocktail 
place going in here, but I really see something that is for the masses. So beer, maybe whiskey. I don't know. I mean, there's seems to be insatiable demand for that on the street. No, I agree with you. I mean, if you look at the success of permission whiskey, which is right down the street, which is, you know, been, it's now about a year old, you know, with a great selection and, and good service and, you know, basically no parking to speak of, you know, to have a place and, and no patio really just some tables out front. So to, to have a place with, with a patio and with parking, uh, I think it would make a nice bar, you know, with a little bit of food. Uh, and certainly, you know, the Cultivare guys are working on their bar in the old, uh, the old bike shop next to Cultivare. So that's still sort of pending. They haven't, they haven't released much about what's going on with that space, but it does feel like White Oak is becoming more and more of a kind of bar nightlife type destination. And so, yeah, if I, if I had to guess, it wouldn't totally surprise me if, if Golden is, is moving in that direction and that if, uh, you know, a bagel and coffee shop just, just couldn't compete in that uh, leasing type environment. No, the money is way too, way too good for an alcohol forward establishment to not want to put down rates here. Yes. All right. Let me move on to topic number two. Dish Society founder Aaron Lyons and Chef Brandy Key announced that they are opening Daily Gather, a new restaurant in the former international spokespace in City Center. Mary, let me ask you. Knowing what you know about Dish Society and Brandy Key, yes. do you think that a more elevated full-service concept makes sense for them as an evolution of what they do? I think so. I think City Center's the right location. I mean, you've got neighborhoods that surround this area, plus hopefully business workers that come back online uh, for lunch and dinner and happy hour type of events. I think, I think they would be... I think they will do well having a higher end uh, space. Brandy's super talented. Um, I think as long as they understand the neighborhood that they're in, I think they'll do great. Yeah. Well, and there is that dish society on Memorial drive, not very far from city center. So I think they have some sense maybe of that neighborhood. You've got that kind of young professional crowd or, or maybe more accurately young families that are looking for a nice spot for dinner. Uh, they they want to kind of do both. They want to have like a family friendly, but also do date night. So I could see there being kind of a bar area that's maybe a little more elevated. And then, you know, the patio looks out onto the green space in the heart of city center. So basically, you know, you, you sit down for dinner with the kids, you let them run around for a little bit while you're waiting for your entrees and it all kind of works out. Uh, you know what I, this is a really, they're talking about a really diverse menu, you know, cold seafood to start, salads, burgers, pastas, uh, steaks, chops, even pizza. You know, it seems to me that Brandy's really well suited for that because she has so much experience from her time with Clark Cooper Concepts. You know, she opened Copa, the Italian restaurant. She opened Punk Simple Southern Food and, and Salter Seafood Kitchen, which was a more elevated seafood concept. So, you know, you kind of bring all of that together uh, different elements under one roof and they all kind of influence daily gather a little bit. Yeah. I just think, you know, even if they go upscale, still be considerate of the price points of family friendly. Like I think that family friendly still wants to go out, but you know, it, it still needs to be priced in line 
with other restaurants within city center. I just think the fact that kids can run around and hang out will definitely draw the families, but you, you have to have some pricing options that are also family friendly, even if they are upscale. Well, city center is an interesting mix, right? Because you've got sort of hop dotty, you know, and maybe some other places on the kind of at the low end. And then Eddie B's for example, or Fleming's just around the corner. Right. Well, that Capitol Grill has always been super busy. That's a little more elevated. Mm-hmm. You've got the restaurant in the hotel that's been a tie-in and maybe some other things. Reiki Na, the tasting menu concept recently opened there. So it really is, um, you know, the tasting room is still there. Uh, there's a South American steakhouse in there. So, you know, there's a lot of diversity within, within that range. And uh, you can kind of capture some version of all of it. Yeah, absolutely. Something for everybody and a destination people will go to often if they live and or work in that area. Yeah, I I always find the the parking at uh, City Center to be sort of challenging because you wind up in a garage, you got to kind of hoof it. But I mean, all those restaurants are so busy. I I just don't think people care that much. And, And I also think that, you know, there aren't that many like high quality locally owned places in that area. And I think people really appreciate that. And I think, I mean, it's been a minute since I've been over there, but I feel like there's still decent valet stations in and around each side. So if you want a valet, it's a possibility. And I think a lot of these families are used to that. No, I, I think that's right. And, and when I went to Reiki now a few weeks ago, you know, found the valet stand by the hotel, which will actually be very close to daily gather. It's, 10 bucks or whatever it is, which is, you know, it's, it's not ideal. It's kind of inconvenient. I kind of wish that it were either cheaper or they figured out a way to build it into whatever the restaurants are paying, but you know, that's the price you pay. And and if I want to be frugal, I can, I can navigate the garage and deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's always a bustling center. So just kind of like River Oaks district, you know, you can ballet or you can and walk. So people are going to go here regardless. Yeah. Do you have any uh, expectations for the food or is there anything specific you'd like to see from I, Daily Gather? I like it when Brandy does pasta. I mean, I really do. I love, I've always loved her pasta offerings and I think she does really well with seafood. So I would like to see some lighter fare. I mean, I know burgers and steaks, everybody wants those, but I would like to see lighter fare from her and handmade food from her. She's really talented and um, I think it really shows when she has her hand literally in, in the cooking. No, I, I agree. And, you know, one of the things Dish Society has always been known for is their local sourcing and they buy a lot of produce from different Texas farms. And so I think extending that to daily gather, keeping things seasonal, keeping things fresh, I think that's all to the good. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And then let us move on to topic number three an article that has been surprisingly popular. I reported that Brandon Silva has departed from Deguste and Matt Staff has left his role as the executive chef at Brennan's of Houston. I mean, certainly from my perspective, Brandon leaving Deguste is the, is the bigger surprise. I mean, he was on the podcast a few months ago and basically talked about Deguste as uh, you know, something of a dream job for him, something he had really aspired to for a few years when he was working with the Kirby group. And so, 
you know, I, you know, when I talked to him about it, he basically said they had creative differences. And I think with Matt, I think it was just a culture fit. Like, uh, you know, Brennan's wasn't the restaurant for him. So I'm not sure there's too much to say about that, but I guess, you know, you work with chefs, you've hired chefs, you've uh, fired chefs. What do you make of it when, when a, when a chef opens kind of a, a prominent concept and then departs after less than a year? Oh, it's tough. I mean, in a normal year, I might have different opinions uh, and COVID makes it a little more difficult. I mean, usually there's a split in uh, management style or direction that one party wants to go in versus the other um, and vision. A lot of times, you know, my life is surrounded by creatives and I love being surrounded by them, but oftentimes the creative vision of a chef or um even a wine sommelier, wine person, somebody in, in that side differs from the management operation side. So I don't know the exact details of it, but Brandon's incredibly talented. I do think that, you know, he would not have left if he felt that he could stay there and, and work out whatever was going on. Obviously, the differences were probably too much to overcome. No, and I think that that's fair, and and it's it is unfortunate because I think that what he was doing at the Ghost was pretty special. I had I had a really good dinner there back in June that left me pretty excited about the direction he was going in terms of you know blending his Mexican heritage with Spanish cuisine and some of the other things that he had experienced, whether that was working at Uchi or some of the other restaurants around town. And I just thought the Ghost was really exciting. Um, now it isn't. It is in relatively good hands. I mean, uh, Javier Becerra. Harvey. Huh, easy for me to say. Javier Becerra worked at both BCN and Mad for a long time. He's a talented guy, and uh, between him and Rico Mankins, who's worked worked for Robert Del Grande, worked uh, at restaurants all over the city. I mean, I think De Goust is in is in pretty good hands and I'll be, they'll, they'll be rolling out a new menu uh, in October. And, and I will want to go back. I will want to see kind of how that, how that shakes out, what Degust is like without Brandon. I mean, they've certainly been involved uh, for as long as the restaurant's been around. So it uh, will be interesting. So Mary, I guess with that kind of being said that, that I think, you know, Degust should be in relatively stable hands. I mean, what do you think? Would you would you go? Have you been to Degust? Does this make you more likely to go to Degust or not go to Degust? Um, I have been to Degust. I did love it. Uh, more likely to go? I don't know. Probably the same. I'd probably wait until they do their menu revamp that you wrote about and go when they had a different offering and see what the new chefs are doing. Yeah, I, I think that's reasonable. I just, you know, the one thing I sort of want to communicate and, and something that Brandon really expressed is that, you know, the restaurant is in good hands and, and that it's not it's not going away or anything like that because it is an exciting concept. And, you know, these tasty menu, you know, these omakase type restaurants are pretty fragile and I, I just wouldn't want to see people turn their back on it. Yeah, I mean, we've seen uh, we've seen other restaurants somewhat similar tasting format, uh, hidden omakase, I believe, right. They had a chef turnover and I just think 
it's a slippery slope when a small local restaurant associates themselves uh, and immerse, immerses themselves in the identity of a chef and then he leaves. So, you know, kudos to him for saying the restaurant's in good hands and that you should still go back. I wouldn't not go back because he's there. I just might wait a minute to see what the next iteration is. But um, he no doubt instilled a team that is entirely capable. Right. And then just to put a pin in Brennan's, of course, you know, Carl Walker is the general manager. He's the former executive chef. You know, Jose Aravalo has been there forever. He kind of is the the hidden man behind the scenes that keeps that kitchen running smoothly. So, you know, executive chefs maybe come and go a little bit, but but the you know, the the turtle soup is still gonna be the turtle soup. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's an institution, just like Tony's. I mean these, these places are still consistent, regardless of who helms the ship, so to speak. Um, you know, they have had a lot of turnover, so maybe they should stop naming new chefs and just stick with the guy who's actually running the kitchen, uh, is a thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I think they're going to be, you know, I talked to uh, Alex Brennan Martin about kind of the state of there, and he's like, it's like, yeah, no, we we want to talk to people, we want to meet people, but we're not rushing in anything, and and I think that's all to the good. I think that that you know, waiting a little bit and finding someone who's really excited about uh, being at Brennan's will be the right move for them. I will say, on a personal note, and this is an institution that I love. Uh, it has a very happy place within my family for special occasions, and always has. But the last few times I've dined there over the last several months in let's just call it year plus, the food hasn't hasn't matched what I expect from Britain. So I don't know if this is entirely coming from the kitchen or from staffing. It's been an incredibly hard almost at this point, coming up on, you know, a year and a half, two years of of this new era that we live in. So I don't want to fault them entirely. But, you know, Brennan's really sets the bar for fine dining old school institutions in Houston. So to see it slip makes me sad. That is well said and fair enough. On that note, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Mary, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Concura Italian Bites. This is a new Italian restaurant on Mid Lane at Westheimer, so sort of Highland Village, Afton Oaks, River Oaks District. It's kind of in the middle of all of that. Uh, Mary, I'd say we had a pretty good dinner at Concura Italian Bites. What did you think? Overall, I liked it. I went into it with an open mind. I had had friends and other industry friends as well um, that had gone there before. And I always listen to people's feedback, but I, I really try when you and I go to these restaurants to kind of set those things aside and really kind of sit down and, and get ready for a couple hour ride of being in the hands of the operators or owners of a restaurant and see what they got. And I was delightfully surprised. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect. You know, the, the chef uh, Angelo comes from 
Roma, where I think he had done pretty good work. You know, the owner, uh, Jessica, this is obviously her first, her first venture. So, you know, it's always a little bit uncertain about what to expect from a first time operator, but you know, I, I think there was quite a bit to like. I mean, you know, starting with the decor, it's just a really, it's a, it's a very intimate space in kind of a neighborhood where most restaurants are bigger. You know, it's mostly black, right? Black tables, black walls. Um, they've got a little patio. But, you know, I think it probably only seats 50, 60 people. And, you know, we definitely felt that where, you know, it, it it's one of those things where, you know, if even a couple of tables are empty, it, it doesn't look very full. But then, you know, as the night went on and they sort of filled in, it was like, okay, yeah, they're doing a, a decent business on a Friday night. Um, it's got that big open kitchen. You know, you can really see everything. I know uh, Chef Angelo came over and was like, I was like, yeah, you know, he he was he said he wasn't used necessarily to being out in public like that. And it's like, yeah, because you can't you can't yell at your cooks when you're in front of your diners, but he said, it's been, uh, it's been a good experience for him. And, and I saw him interacting, not just with, with us, but with several of the tables. Um, I don't know. Let me, let me throw it back to you. I mean, what did you think of kind of the decor, the environment at Concura? I thought it was really pretty. I, I came back from in August, I traveled for a couple of weeks to do some R and D for what's next for us. And, this restaurant really reminded me of some restaurants I went to in Brooklyn, Lower Manhattan. There's a restaurant in Lower Manhattan that's an Italian concept pasta forward, Italian wine forward that's run by a couple of Italian people. And this kind of brought me back to that. I, I felt like in a way I could be in New York or maybe in a, in a part of Europe, uh, which was nice to be transported to. I found, um, the dynamic between her and her husband to be um, just refreshing. I think, you know, we go to a lot of restaurants that are run by big restaurant groups. And I think people in this day and age of COVID are really looking for an experience and this felt homey. Um, yes, the colors were dark. Like our table was black and white marble and the walls were kind of a lime washed charcoal gray and, um, everything else, but it felt it felt pretty down home and homey. And I liked the open kitchen concept. It reminded me there was an island kind of seating where five or six women were sitting at. Um, and I thought that was nice. It felt like maybe you're at someone's home on a kitchen island watching people cook. So that was that was nice to see. Yeah, no, I think the only thing about sort of the decor and the environment was that it was just too bright in there. And, and it made for pretty pictures, which I sort of like you know, for social media purposes, but, you know, in terms of dining there, it's like, just, I, I think I would have unscrewed half the light bulbs. I think for them, I think the ambient light from the kitchen bar area, and if they just did candlelight, like true candlelights on the table, they don't need those overhead spotlights. They're too bright. So they either need softer bulbs or make them more dimmable, but they really don't even need that light. Um, you know, four horsemen and Brooklyn and New York is dark and intimate. Ten Bells in Manhattan is dark and intimate. I mean, people like that. It's sexy. I think that's a good move. Yeah. And then just turning to the menu, I mean, you know, we had a few small plates. We had a couple of pastas. We had a, a rabbit dish. Maybe 
what were one or two of your favorites of the things that we tried? I, okay. So I think you and I will probably both agree on this dish um, that we both had and enjoyed this tomato uh, dish that was served. It was called Papa al Pomodoro and it was a tomato bread bowl with, uh, I believe, buffalo mozzarella. I don't remember. uh, Burrata. Um, But it was delicious. And a simple dish. They described it as kind of a peasant dish, but that's something you don't see. So it was refreshing to see a different, um, a a truly new menu item. The pastas, I'm always going to love pastas if they're well executed. Uh, They steered us towards um, the pastatelle basquiole, which the shape of that pasta was unique to me. Um, and the mushroom ragu, ragu and the truffles, that was a, a standout dish for me. I also like the gnocchi with the saffron and the shrimp. That was, it kind of looked like um, macaroni in terms of the color, but the texture and the flavors were really good on that. No, I, I agree with you about all three of those dishes and uh you know, I think the pastas, both pastas were really a standout. I've, I've never seen that uh, pastatelli before, um, but I heard from a social media follower of mine who, who is Italian and said that it's, um, it's a pretty common dish in Italy uh, and one that he was a little bit surprised to see on an American menu. He said uh, you could sort of serve it dry or in broth. Obviously, they're serving it dry and it, it's very earthy with the mushrooms and the the truffles, I thought that had a really good flavor. And, you know, I was impressed by the rabbit. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, they kind of did a roulade where it's a, it's a rabbit loin that's wrapped around a stuffing and then wrapped with pancetta. Obviously, you know, that's a dish that can go dry really easily, but this was, you know, it wasn't dry. It was juicy. It was flavorful. It was nicely cooked. You know, it, it came at the end of the night, so we were already pretty full, but but again, I thought that they, I thought they're really onto something with with that kind of, you know, more rustic, more home style Italian cooking. That's that's a little bit different, you know. I think, uh, you know, the stuff that's maybe a little bit more typical of Italian places, like the, you know, the vitello tonato with the with the blood orange, you know, or the sea bass carpaccio. I'm not sure that that those dishes really landed for me, but uh, you know, that, that tomato bread bowl, the Papa al Pomodoro and the, and the two pastas were definitely the sort of things I'd go back for. The carpaccio for me, that's, you know, the seafood, you don't, we don't, there's too many restaurants in Houston do that. So what I liked most about this restaurant was dishes I could have here that I can't have anywhere else. Right. So that, that's the standout for me. I do appreciate that they have an all Italian wine list. Um, their cocktails were good. You and I started with a cocktail each and I thought they were perfectly well executed. Um, I do know that they're short on staff as is everyone in this town. So I think they would be wise to, you know, bring in a consultant or bring in somebody that can help them get through what I hope will be a very busy uh, October, November, December holiday season for them. Yeah. So what did you think? Um, what did you think of the wine list, by the way? I, I always defer to you when it comes to wine. I like the wine list. It was, it was actually bigger than I thought it would be for how small a restaurant this is. Um, I applaud people when they stick to what it is that they do best. So 
two Italian people having an all Italian wine list, an Italian uh, menu. I think that's, that's wise. Uh, there's not, in my opinion, a lot of great Italian restaurants inside the loop. Um, I'm an old soul. I, I do love DeMarco and I sorely miss Dolce Vita. Um, but for me, and I still, and I love Sorrento's, but, and obviously I love Carabas and Kirby, uh, the original, but there's just really not a lot of great, we just lost Divino. Um, there's not a lot of great small local Italian restaurants. So I, I really want to champion them. I, I want them to succeed. No, I, I think that's very well said. And it, it did have that kind of, uh, that kind of family owned feel that like aspirational, quality to it you know you could just tell that several of the diners knew the owners and they were coming in on a on a friday night and and it is you know the sort of place you really want to root for and so you know just based on that i think and and the quality of the the pastas i i certainly would go back and i would encourage other people to try it yeah i think it's a nice alternative for this riverbrooks district area mid lane area that is filled with some great restaurants, but you know, these are big chains. And I think in this environment, we really need to spend our money supporting the smallest of small businesses. I mean, maybe I selfishly think that, but I've always lived that way. I think if we want our dining and beverage scene to remain strong in this city, you really have to support the local guys or they're not going to, they're not going to survive. So I will return to them and I look forward uh, to another meal with them. All right, Mary, that does it for our restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And I will be back with Graham Laborde and Benji Mason. I am joined this week by... The proprietors of Winnie's, a bar and sandwich shop opening very soon in Midtown. Gentlemen, let me introduce you individually so people can hear your voices. Graham Laborde, welcome back to the show. How are you? Happy to be back, Eric. <laughs> Benji Mason, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Graham, let me start with you. Uh, you know, the last time you were on the show, it was a few years ago, you were working for Killen's restaurants, you know, you separated with them kind of at the start of the pandemic. How did, how did Winnie's come about and maybe why, why did that seem like the right move for you in terms of your next project? I think it's a couple of things. Uh, chief among them being at the beginning of the pandemic, I think the, the future and desire overall uh, but specifically for me to get back into fine dining just wasn't there. Um, I, you know, I've always wanted to do my own thing. I value the lessons learned from projects past and opportunities past and appreciate those opportunities. But the plan and the goal was always to do my own thing. Um, and so that, pandemic kind of provided the uh, urge or really the, the kick in the ass to get that off the ground. Um, and, you know, what became casual searching for a place and a project and a space 
really just ramped up, became a lot more aggressive. Uh, and then, you know, we found a space, but really it was just sitting down with Benji and talking about what we wanted to do, what we thought was cool and uh, what we wanted to make. And so this project has definitely come, uh, come out of that. Benji, that, that seems like a good opportunity for me to, to bring you into this. You know, you were a chef, you were the chef at Downhouse, you were kind of the, the culinary ops guy for, you know, the Treadsec group when they were opening their restaurants. How did you sort of, how did you sort of become the, the or, or let me ask this slightly differently. What's it been like kind of moving into the bar world and, and being a bar owner coming, coming from that culinary side? You know, it's been a pretty natural transition for me. I mean, my interest in in food and restaurants and bars has always been, uh, has really been community-based. Like that's my background before I was a chef was I actually ran uh, nonprofits and did, uh, you know, sort of community organizing stuff. And that's always kind of been my interest. So, uh, it wasn't a big jump to go from, you know, I ended up at Downhouse because it was like a neighborhood restaurant. Uh, and so to me, the difference between a neighborhood restaurant and a neighborhood bar uh, isn't, you know, it's not, I don't see them as completely different worlds. So yeah, I mean, like that's always been, you know, and I mean, Johnny's is a, is a craft cocktail bar, but it's really a neighborhood bar that happens to serve great cocktails. So then talk to me maybe about the vision for Winnie's as, you know, maybe a little bit more of a restaurant than obviously more of a restaurant than Johnny's, but still kind of anchored in that bar experience. <laughs> I've been very adamant that we're opening a bar, not a restaurant, because uh, bars have are simpler. <laughs> uh, but I think, yeah, I mean, our, our idea over here is like we want a fun, casual neighborhood place to hang out. and. Uh, the space is being built like a bar and we're hiring bartenders. Uh, you know, we're going to have a full food menu, but I think, you know, the, the vision again is like a neighborhood bar that happens to serve cocktails and great sandwiches. Yeah. Graham, I mean, you're, you're opening in the Natachi space in Midtown. How did you kind of settle on that as the right venue for Winnie's? Um, well, there's a family connection to the, the space itself. Uh, the landlord and my cousin, I mean, um, is my cousin's husband. And so they've always kind of drawn us down here. They're really hardworking. Uh, the neighborhood is really close knit. Uh, and everybody looks out for each other. All the businesses on the block are great. Um, and so, I mean, when they kind of presented us with the opportunity, to be fair, we weren't super sure about it, but we decided it. Honestly, you were there when we decided it. Um, Sitting on the patio, watching the train go by and realizing that there's very few places in Houston where you can be on a patio, watch the train go by, enjoy a cool cocktail. It's almost transplanting you somewhere else. Uh, and that didn't click with us until we were well into the middle of our second pop-up. 
but yeah, I mean, it's a restaurant space. It was relatively fully built out. Uh, and then we changed every single thing about it, uh, as, as often happens, but it was natural. No, I, I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, I just had the guys from night shift on last week and they're on a different section of the rail line, but they have that rooftop patio that overlooks the, the rail and they have food and good cocktails. And it's been a, it's been a, it's been a hit. I mean, it's been someplace I've been a few times. And so I, I think you're onto something with that. I think there is something unusual for Houston about that kind of urban environment that we don't get to experience as often. I certainly hope so. I mean, I will say the benefit of having a parking garage right behind us is another thing that's really nice. I mean, you can walk 20 feet from a covered parking garage and be in the space. So that's pretty great too. So you get kind of both worlds. Yeah. Benji, you uh, mentioned that you're kind of operating on a bar style service model. So, so maybe talk us through that kind of what's the expectation for how customers will interact with the staff at, at Winnie's. Well, I mean, I think one of the differences to me, right. Is that like in a, you go to a bar and you are sort of looking for the bartender to kind of set the, uh, to set the tone and to, you know, and, and it's like a little more interactive. Uh, it's a little less, I mean, there's the, the service is, is friendly and engaging, but maybe a little bit less, like you don't have someone standing right over you in a section going like, Oh, you know? Uh, so we really just want it to be a like fun, casual sort of, party atmosphere so there'll be you know you'll be able to order drinks at the bar you'll be able to order drinks at your table and yeah the vision i mean graham talk to me about the menu a little bit because you you did the peacemaker pop-up you previewed some of the sandwiches but but i feel like there's more to it than just a couple of po'boys so maybe what can we expect from the the food options at, at winnie's for sure uh i mean I'm really, really excited, and Benji and I are both really excited to be working with Chris Roy on this project. He's in the kitchen right now, uh, prepping away. Um, and he has done the the lion's share of the restaurant, or of the R&D for this project. I mean, we had previously worked together at Bernadine's, and then he worked at Killings, which is at the steakhouse there. Um, and he is, you know, just an immensely talented guy. So what we've been able to do uh, on this one, more so than any project in the past, is really put our heads together and come up with what is honestly and truthfully a uh, collaborative menu. And I, I say that because I am, and Benji is, and Chris is, three of the stubborn, most stubborn guys you'll ever meet. So we all have strong opinions on, you know, what sausage goes in a gumbo, uh, what pot roast uh, is or may not be, depending on what part of the country you're from, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So I think some of the strengths of the menu that we've come up with are that it is very technique-driven for sandwiches. But there's subtlety there that, you know, we're totally aware that sometimes people just don't give a shit what's on the sandwich. They just want to eat it because it tastes good. So if you want to know what's in it, we'll geek out about Chris has a uh, braised bacon 
Katsu Sando right now, where he takes the collard green recipe that we've been using for years and braises bacon, house cured bacon in it, and then sets it, cools it, and then we deep fry it and then kind of do a riff on a BLT. It's way over the top for anything that you'd want to do and insanely delicious, but it's a BLT, right? Bacon, tomato, green tomato, and, uh, and lettuce. So it's, um, it's been a lot of fun putting this menu together. Yeah, I guess, you know, for, for those of us who, you know, like me, were, were Bernadine's fans, sort of how much is familiar and, and how much is new? It, it definitely toes the line of uh, a lot of things that you'll see on there that are uh, familiar. So gumbo is going to be a, a familiar thing. Fried pickled okra. I mean, those, those recipes are just like part of who we are and what our identity is. Oysters are on there. Uh, we didn't change a lot of oysters. I, I love oysters and want to kind of have them always and everywhere. So that was an easy go. Um, and the menu will broaden. Uh, we're going to open small. Part of that's, you know, pandemic. Part of that's the hiring environment in, in the restaurant industry. And part of that is the fact here we have a tropical storm brewing right now. Uh, so we'll open small and scale up over the next couple of weeks. But that actually is exciting in its own right because it feels like every single thing we do gets its own little miniature showcase on social media. So I think, you know, j- jumping in on that, one of the things that like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, like the, the base sauces and the breadings and stuff are, are things that came out of Bernadine's, but then the end result is, you know, sort of piled up on a sandwich and then covered with cool ranch Doritos. So it's like, a, <laughs> it, it's like a much, uh, and this was even back in the Bernadine's days. I remember Graham and I arguing about this often, you know, just like how, how fancy should things be? How fancy do people want things? You know, and this is like swings pretty far in the other direction from the food at Bernadine's. I mean, it is like prepared with the same quality of ingredients and to the same standards, but it is definitely like not, you know, we don't really have plates. <laughs> we don't have uh you know, and we have a lot more Doritos. So I'm excited. I think it's, I think it's a super fun take on, on, you know, the, a lot of the food that all of us have been working on over the years. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I know both of you guys are really committed to local sourcing. I mean, you know, even in a casual environment, I, I assume you're able to maintain that uh, ethos. Totally. I mean, that's just what you do, right? Uh, you have friends in this industry that you develop over being in Houston for 10, 11, 12 years. And the cool thing about all our friends is they make cool shit. Uh, so we've got bread man doing our bread. Um, we've got, you know, our shrimp purveyor is just had his 82nd birthday and couldn't wait to tell me about his duck hunting trip over the weekend. And these are people that I haven't seen and that we haven't seen largely through a lot of the pandemic. And, you know, you get back in touch with them and you don't miss a beat and you just proudly put their products on, I would almost set a plate, uh, but proudly put their products on a basket. Um, and they don't care. They're just, they're excited to uh, see what you can do with it. And Benji, I guess let's talk cocktails. I mean, you know, certainly that, you know, New Orleans, Louisiana lends itself to certain sort of obvious uh, drinks, but but what do you have planned? Um, so, you know, like the 
like the food menu, I think there's a lot of a lot of parallels where it's like, okay, we've all like spent a long time learning about craft cocktails, studying cocktails, learning new cocktail techniques. Uh, but at some point, you know, you get older and it becomes a little bit about less, less like, oh, look how good at this I am and more like, hey, let's make something that people really like. Um, so the cocktail menu is fun and approachable. Uh, it definitely kind of leans into that Texas, Louisiana uh, drinking traditions, uh, you know, which then, you know, sort of filtered through a, a lens of craft cocktails. I mean, it's not, to be clear, I didn't make this cocktail menu. I, I you know, it's a collaborative uh, deal. Uh, Garrett Jones, who has been uh, the GM at Johnny's, is coming over to and has been doing a lot of the R&D. Uh, we just hired our GM, uh, Tina Marie Brackett, who was coming from Sugar Room and then 93 Till. Uh, and so, you know, we have a bunch of really talented people behind the bar. Uh, and so we've really been having a lot of fun sort of putting together uh, this menu. I think, I feel like the most we are, uh, we were talking about, okay, what are the classic New Orleans drinks, right? We've got hurricanes and we've got hand grenades and and i really wanted to get one of each of those on however i don't think either of those in their you know bourbon street form are particularly good drinks um and so we've been really like dialing in these sort of uh riffs on those drinks and so we've got the hand grenade is a majorian vodka but then we were trying to like make it green without adding more food coloring and so we ended up with uh kiwi and then to we wanted to lighten it up and carbonate it so we've got like a house made lime substitute uh so like you know behind the under the hood it's actually like a fairly complicated cocktail but then it comes out in a frosted mug uh it's bright green and it's got a flamingo in it so i think that's sort of like that that to me is a pretty good description of the ethos of the program. Yeah, you know, I, I like that that's kind of become the trend in cocktails where, you know, we as the customers don't see, we don't necessarily see, you know, three drops of this tincture, or you have to shake it for 10 minutes or whatever. It's just, it it's the, the prep work is sort of hidden from us. It goes on, you know, before the restaurant opens and then the drink comes out in a minute. You know, I, I just, I think that's such a, a much friendlier, uh, customer friendlier approach than, than, uh, you know, watch me do all this whiz bang shit. Right. And I think, you know, and I think, I mean, that's what happens. Like, you know, classic cocktails, I mean, in Houston, maybe what, 12 years old, like, so, you know, there's been a real, uh, an evolution and, a you know, and you see it all over, you know, I mean, it used to be really like sort of Anvil set the standard and it was all like serious, you know, pre-prohibition suspenders. And, you know, even those guys now are doing like super fun, light, refreshing menus. Um, so I think that's definitely kind of the way we're all, we're all moving as, you know, so I'm very excited about it. I think the cocktail menu here is really, really great. And I think it's going to like, if you're super into cocktails, I mean, just like the food menu, if you're super into cocktails and you want to like nerd out on these things, like, yeah, we've got all that kind of stuff going on. And if you're just, you know, you're 22 and you've never had a craft cocktail before, like, hey, great, come on out. Like, we've got something that you're going to love. 
Yeah, and and then I I guess I sort of assume that you'll do some local craft beer and some wine and stuff to kind of round it out. Uh, yeah, we got a really tight menu. We've got like six beers on draft. Uh, we have one white wine, pink wine, bubbly wine. Uh, the those are nuances. Um, and then you know we've got your normal like Bud Light, Miller Light on the cocktail program. Um. Graham, let me let me just throw it back to you. I mean, I know you're getting close to opening. Do you want to tell us when you're going to kick things off and, and open the doors to this place? We're going to open the doors at Friday at dinner. Um, we've got a private friends and family we've been running uh, and we'll be running the remainder of this week to get open. Uh, we'll watch the weather really closely as will everybody else in Houston. But um, Friday dinner and yeah. I mean, I, if I remember correctly, the plan is uh, lunch, dinner, and late night. So when do you think you'll be fully operational? Beginning of next week. And we're going to to start, it'll be basically noon to 10 p.m. We're not going to do 2 a.m. to start and uh, see how that goes every day but Monday. I mean, Graham, let me, let me ask you kind of on a, a more philosophical level. I mean, you, you know, you were kind of... Uh, hidden in the the Ronnie Killen world for a couple of years. I mean, are you you excited to kind of get back out in front and be, you know, kind of the the face of something again? Definitely. I think chief among what I've always really wanted to do is have something that's uniquely yours and that you can create. Um, Working for other people has been, you know, a great learning opportunity. But at the end of the day, uh, you can't you can't get the same sense of satisfaction out of that uh, that you can if you cultivated, created, and shaped something yourself from the ground up. Um, and that you know experience you have definitely gives you the confidence to do it uh, the way that we have. I'm I'm really proud of the product that we put together and the space and the team and the uh, staff that we're hiring, um, all of that, you know, all of that comes from years and years of experience on someone else's dime. Uh, but now that we've got my own space that I can you know, show my wife and my daughters and share working with my partners, um, I wouldn't go back for anything. Uh, and, and Benji, I, I guess I'll, we can sort of move to wrap this up, but let me let me ask you a version of the same question. I mean, it's been a while since you've opened something new. I mean, are you are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you you know how do you yeah, feel? All of those, all of those things. Uh, you know, I mean, I think like what the experience that I've had at Johnny's since you know since it split off and became an independent business has been great, and I'm super super proud of everything that the team over there has accomplished and has continued to accomplish. Uh, and, but yeah, new, I mean, new things are exciting and, uh, I'm really happy about the way that this has all come together and, you know, working with Chris and Graham and and Tina Marie, uh, I'm, I can't wait. Right. Well, gentlemen, that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there anything you want to discuss that I haven't asked you about? No, come eat. (laughs) Oh, I will. I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, not to not to tip my hand too obviously for uh, 
for the listeners, but I, I mean, we talked about the, you know, we talked about the Peacemaker pop-up uh, when it happened and, you know, Mary and I have talked about this previously on the show. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm certainly excited about this concept. I don't mind saying that, you know, Bernadine's was one of my favorite restaurants for a little while and, and I'm really looking forward to this and it's, it's close to where I live and, you know, I expect it to be pretty affordable. And so, yeah, no, you'll, you'll definitely see me. Good. Awesome. Yeah. We're looking it's forward been, to it. it's been, it's been really nice. Like hearing, I mean, just like people like our friends and our colleagues, you know, just the number of people who've reached out and been like, man, I can't wait for a sandwich, like has been very exciting and <laughs> gratifying. So we're excited. All right. Well, gentlemen, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Ramble board. What is your favorite cookbook? My New Orleans, John Bash. I know it's not popular. <laughs> <laughs> Benji, how about you? Benji Mason? How about you? Uh, the uh, Fergus Henderson first nose to tail cookbook. Benji, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? <laughs> We're just talking about this. CNC Music Factory. Graham, how about you? Uh, it was a dual concert, Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, 1994. <laughs> uh, that is in the, the Cajun ultimate Dome, 1994 answer. <laughs> uh, Graham, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Uh, Wendy's Baconator and pickles and tomato. Benji, how about you? Like, once a year, while hungover, I eat a Big Mac. And... <laughs> um, Benji, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh, man, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> you are asking the wrong person. I got that same answer from uh, the Night Shift guys last week. Uh, <laughs> Graham, how about, how about you? I, uh, I'm a huge sports fan. I have met and fortunately met and got to hang out with and rub elbows with a lot of uh, Texans and no knock against any of them, but I will always be a baseball fan. Jeff Bagwell came into Bernardine's and I was shaking. I mean, that was like my lifelong hero. So Jeff Bagwell for sure. All right. And then Graham, finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go-to toppings? Uh, on top of a pizza? Yes. Mushrooms, pepperoni, black olives. Benji, how about you? Ham, pineapple, and balsamic vinegar. Gross. <laughs> a controversial answer to be sure. Uh, you, just right, got a, you just got a window into what one year of research and development has been like for the <laughs> uh, Graham, give me the website and the social media for Winnie's. Uh, Benji's better to do that, but I believe it's www.winnieshouston.com. Uh, Instagram the same. So winnieshouston.com, and I think it's Winnie's Houston on Instagram too. Is that correct? Yeah. It is Winnie's Houston on Instagram. Yep. All right. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you for your time, Eric. Appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week. <laughs>